This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book. I watched two movies. Two movies this week. One's a secret. We'll get into that later. But we are starting with Call of the Wild. Odd. Odd. Again, kind of like the Cats episode. We're going to talk <laughs> about the uncanniness of this, but there's a bright side to it. But we're going to start with actually Jack London and Call of the Wild and, and start to break that down. Uh, and we'll make our way through this. Because this book came out so long ago, 1903. If you have listened to the Animal Farm episode where we talked about how George Mm. Orwell, the author of Animal Farm, went to live with the commoners in London, down and out in Paris Mm -hmm, in London, mm -hmm. Evan mentioned, this is the guy that he was inspired by for doing that. Oh. Because Jack London... God, his life is an insane, call of the wild. insane <laughs> life. I won't get in too much into his life. The book that I did read was just called Jack London by Alex Kershaw. Fascinating individual running off the list. He was a hobo, a sailor, an oyster pirate, was in the gold rush of Klondike, was a commercial fiction writer, war journalist, ranch owner, and he had eyewitness accounts of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. What? That... <laughs> He also sounds like a liar. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's what's crazy. He had 23 (laughs) novels, three memoirs, 22 nonfiction books, three plays, and over 120 short stories. Oh, my God, dude. And he died at the age of 40. (laughs) (laughs) Live fast, die hard, am I right? Die young, baby. He he was the pioneer of commercial magazine fiction, like the pulp short stories, which is why he has so many of them. He is one of the first writers to become an international celebrity. His stuff was sold worldwide. He earned a ton of money from doing this, which was another rare thing for authors. He was an innovator in the science fiction genre, because he's actually the same time as H.G. Wells, who does War of the World's Time Machine and The Invisible Man, which we're going to be covering soon. Very complicated individual, because like I said about him being interested in the common people, he was a radical in terms of workers' rights and socialism. Mm. But he was also very racist and interested in eugenics, mm. which is selective breeding humans okay. for their desirable yeah. qualities. Uh, he was <laughs> extremely into alcohol and drugs. And some people think maybe even his early death was a suicide uh, or it was just he what lived, was it officially. His body failed like his liver, his organs okay. failed because of potentially substances. Gotcha. But people then don't know if he did it on purpose. But I think right. mostly it's also like he lived 80 years of life in 40 yeah. <laughs> he just, his body could not keep up. Yeah, it sounds like he packed it in, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, full life. The Call of the Wild part of his life. This is one I hear. I heard about all through high school. I never read this, but this is mm-hmm. one that I think a lot of like high school coaches of mine that always like leaned on. Like, oh, yeah, that, that was my favorite book. <laughs> this will get you through. You, th- you ever have an animal? You're your favorite dog. You know, like, yeah. I always had this uh, uh, looming around this particular subject matter. So I've always kind of been interested in what was the gen- who was the man behind the genesis of it. So, I mean, at least it's good to hear that he was uh, insanely uh, versatile. Uh, yeah. Get, you know, um, but was he uh, was he a ruffian was he a outdoorsman and- yeah so this is the start of his big career when he wrote this what made him the international success so he had done in my list of things the hobo the sailoring the oyster pirate stuff mm-hmm. in california and he went you know, casually the oyster sailing pirate stuff Casually. Yeah, traveled around the world. He was on boats going to Japan. He had returned to California to finish high school because, remember, he's so young. <laughs> oh my had God. never even finished high school. Boy, Got well, you need to go to school. <laughs> Got it done. Get did off a, this boat. Yeah. Did a year in college in Berkeley. Couldn't pay for it. 
So then he went off to the Klondike in Canada in 1897. He created the the Klondike bar. (laughs) (laughs) Not true. Um, But he stayed there for a year. And this is where he gets this story from. Is his experiences in the Klondike? He developed scurvy while while he was there, so that's what why. What year is this? So this is he was there in 1897. He didn't write uh-huh. Call of the Wild. Call of the Wild didn't come out until 1903. Ah, so yeah, he had returned. He was unable to find work. He had random odd jobs after that. This was meant for the pulp market. Like I said, he was big in the short stories in the magazines. So it was originally released in four parts in the Saturday Evening Post. Oh, fun! Yeah, I like. That. And then a publisher was like, "Yo." This needs to be a novel. Was enormously popular when it came out. He sold all the rights for twenty five hundred dollars, which in nineteen oh three, due to the inflation, he got seventy five thousand dollars for selling this. But he sold all the rights. Ugh. But that took his career off. The book has never been out of print since. And in nineteen oh four, he proposed a second book, which was the opposite. So, Call of the Wild is about a dog's ascent or descent however you look at it into becoming wild kind and of turning a into a wolf destiny yeah. almost like go go west young man yeah yeah dog as metaphor right and so yeah so <laughs> my favorite metaphor <laughs> <laughs> love it the theme word of the day if you're interested it, that describes this is called pastoralism so if you want to mm. impress somebody it mean it's it's a return to nature in american mythology it's in the works of rip van winkle which came out in 1819 and huckleberry finn in 1884 ah. so he is on that chain of American mythology of pastoralism returning to nature. It's a reaction and an opposition to industrialization, social conventions. Mm. Other 20th century writers after him, Faulkner and Hemingway, follow through in that tradition as well, mm-hmm. as well as in the spareness and sparseness of their writing. But this second book, he was like, no, I'm going to write one that's the opposite. So it's a dog that's wild and then becomes civilized. And that's called White Fang. Oh, which is the sequel to yes. the, not not any relation at all, but it's just the same concept but reversed. Classic. And yes. some people think of it kind of like as an allegory to Jack London's life, in that society demanded conformity of him. Ah, oh, oh, I bet. Ah, oh, there we go. We see the reverberations through his life. Yeah, but uh, Call of the Wild, the book that came out in 1903, very different from the Disney-fied version that has come out just now, because the original book, the three terms that I would use to describe it is tragic, philosophical, and brutal. Hmm. And Disney turned it into this PG, man helps dog, dog helps man. <laughs> Not at all <laughs> yeah. what the novel is. I Ma- just gotta yeah. say, cartoonish. It's yeah. just cartoony, and I don't understand. Anyway, well, it's just a different. it's just a different thing. It's a different thing entirely. And so it's like they just put the Call of the Wild branding and have a loosely similar story, but very, very- Harrison Ford. Good. Yeah. Great. Theatrical release. (laughs) Very, very different because violence. Uh. In the book, Buck, the main dog, kills Spitz, the other dog. Really? In a showdown. In the movie, I think he just runs off. Oh, my off. God. Uh, see, okay. <laughs> I thought I love Spitz, and I was really intri- intrigued by this character. I was like, oh, he's going to come back. He's out there in the woods. At some point, he said, no, no, just gone. No, it's so because does, they, they disney it. Because he and dies in the, in the actual yeah. book. The way they handle it in the movie, I'm like, oh, oh what happened to Spitz? He will be coming back. You know, like, And then, no, he's just out of the movie. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And that's well, not the first, because I'm aware of some other, I didn't know this one, but I'm aware of some other things that they kind of tweak like that just as mm-hmm. just as deftly it's it's just yeah there's a bunch of in, yeah there's a bunch of uh incompetent people that then take over the sled and in the book all the other dogs die and 
And in the movie, then when I think the biggest difference is going into the third act, they use one of those characters that dies in the sled with the other dogs. Mm-hmm. They use one of him as the main antagonist through the back half of the film. Yeah, he dies. Yeah, yeah. he's not even in the book for the back. <laughs> yeah, for the re- he's just part. He, like, he, yeah, everybody somehow dies but him, or it's kind of vague <laughs> about. And they don't want to say that all the dogs died. They don't want to say the dogs died. Yeah, but they. Definitely don't say that they're alive. Right. (laughs) But this guy's alive. If you look at it the was ja- bizarre. Yeah. if you look at the Jack London stuff, it's like other stories of the time were sentimental. He got criticized for anthropomorphizing nature, but he goes to great pains in the book to be like Buck the dog neither said nor thought this, he just did it. Like he tries to put oh in God, how so this stuff is just instinctual. And so he's trying to discuss the nature of brutality and what he actually saw being up there. <laughs> what you just touched on actually is a huge thing for me. The way that they went about doing the dog. All of the dogs are CGI, mind you. Some of them are convincing. Some of them make mm-hmm. you think they had real dogs on set and they had real rep. No, no, they didn't. But they did have a motion capture guy for the real dog. Somebody from like Cirque uh-huh. du Soleil who's yeah, actually yeah, yeah. there performing with the main actors. So he's human (laughs) so he's all visually aesthetically he's already a bit they've they've heightened him he's not photorealistic to he's got certain features that are really exaggerated that's just on the base level aesthetics design so then they match that with a Cirque du Soleil human performer that adds human thought and characteristic to a heightened visual of a dog that then contradicts the very text of which that that shows the instinctual nature, the almost this plurality moral good of a dog, yeah, doing just what needs to be done, and Re- they don't remo- understand removing itself from humanity, right? Exactly, That's the call exactly. of the wild. So now what they have relied on is that the artistry of it is so beautiful that you emote with it as you would an actual dog, yeah, which is a bit easier. I have to say, from an honest point of view, it's a bit easier to just emote naturally with a real dog because it's just <laughs> real and it's there and you can sense yeah. it than trying to create one through some smear, smoke and mirror show of odd cartoony aspects when it's supposed to be quote unquote photorealistic. Yeah. It, it's just one level of, of oddness placed on top of the other to create something that just feels like an animated movie that also cost so much money 109 million dollars it was shot almost exclusively in los angeles on sound stages it's call of the wild (laughs) is this the only way that they could get harrison ford in the movie i bet you because he's not trucking it it up to the klondike you mean i have to get out of California? <laughs> no, no. No, he's not going out of California. He's staying in LA. He's an old he's man. He's not, the, yeah. <laughs> he's not hiking through the snow to do this. Yeah. There's just, they, they emulated the the Favreau technique that they, that they started mm-hmm. the Jungle Book and they've now taken through a couple of things. We've covered Lion King right. kind of to that approach, but just they, they, there's no single element ever that is so good that breaks free of all of the strange traps they've set themselves in yeah. in every moment of it. Completely different from the source material. 
And a big part of that also, as you mentioned with Harrison Ford not wanting to leave, it's the, it's the human element that they'd throw in there. And like, he's just one of the humans that shows up at the end. He's the last human that Buck deals with, who's a little bit nicer to him and then gets killed. And like, it's just one stop along the story of this four part series in the Saturday Evening Post that then became a book. He's not the narrator. There's none of the crazy backstory. Oh wow. There's no relation. You know what I mean? It's oh, just wow. like this dog is going through his own chain of events to learn nature versus nurture, where his place is in the world. Should he consider himself a part of humanity or go out and embrace his wild nature? It's about the dog. But then they make it, oh, like I said, the dog helps the man and the man helps right. the dog. It had nothing to do. And so this Thornton character, which is Harrison Ford, they have to throw in because they don't have a real dog even. So they got to put a person for you to relate to, I guess, in the movie. Yeah. But none of that is nearly even close to as important in the book. That's bizarre. Well, last little bit, this is, and then you can uh, explain the other thing that you watched secretively without my knowledge. Mm -hmm. this, is, uh, this is the seventh adaptation of Call of the Wild on film. The one that I thought was interesting, which I'll post a link to from YouTube, it's called What a Nightmare Charlie Brown. Oh, It was a 1978 TV special. <laughs> Snoopy has a nightmare, and it's basically the exact same plot as Call of the Wild, and he turns feral and grows fangs and gets all these other dogs oh, in I order. I want to see that. That's great. And uh, it's part of a dog sled team and all this. And it goes through all of the beats of Call of the Wild, and then he wakes up on top of his doghouse and realizes he has the comfortable home of Charlie Brown. Oh, my gosh. That's beautiful. But it's the only Peanut special that features only Charlie Brown and Snoopy and really? none of the other characters. Oh, fascinating. It came out after the, the Christmas and the Thanksgiving and all that stuff. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. I think that's so much more that's fun. That's awesome. Than, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's so good. Um, but what was, the, what was the movie that you watched that has to do with dogs? So I left Call of the Wild just feeling deflated. I thought about leaving several times, to be quite honest. And, and I just, I was looking for something more, and I was really struggling. I was like, well, what am I going to talk about? I can't just sit around and talk about how they should have done this, or they should have yeah. done that. It was like, so I, I'm, I started thinking about what has, what's like this, or what would I want in a movie like this, even. Uh, I, th I started thinking about both of those questions, and, and something came to mind. I happened to just take a chance on it, and boy, I'm glad I did. This is a Disney Plus original. just came out over uh, Christmas. This is Togo, and it is about the 1925 serum run to uh, Nome, Alaska. This is the same set of events mm. that f that centers around the, the animated film Balto. One of my favorite movies of all time. <sighs> I'm going to dash your hopes and dreams here. I'm so sorry. It's a beautiful film. It's a great film. Narratively, it's beautiful. It hits all the buttons. But I'm gonna try. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna. I'm taking down Balto totally right unrealistic. now. I'm taking down <laughs> Balto right now. Here we go. So, for the transport of diphtheria antitoxin serum to Nome, oh. Alaska, it's a 674 mile trek. Twenty teams did this. 150 dogs participated. A statue was erected for <laughs> this whole cause that saved this town and, and the children. Commemorizing this in uh, Central Park, New York. That's Balto's. But yeah. it is. It, it is a Balto. So a lot of people in their minds think that Balto has done the lion's share of the work here. It's not true. Balto ran just 55 miles of this over 600-mile mm. trek. It is, in fact, Togo who ran over 264 miles. The rest then spread up to, you know, 55 for Balto. And even on that, they say that Balto was supposed to stop at another leg and hand off the serum. 
but they didn't do that. They just let the guy sleep. Oh. <laughs> they literally just like didn't wake up the guy and continued on. And after the fact, they said that it that it was a suspect that the musher did it on purpose so that he could capture Be the, the final claim. one. Yeah, capture oh, the wow. glory. Yeah, but even in all actuality, and and of contrary to the film, Balto was was a husky. It was not a a wolf dog, which that is the, some of the primary conflict in Balto is that he is a wolf dog and uh, some sort of husky. You know, there's the there's yeah. the the draw between the wild and the suburban. That's non-existent. He was just a husky, and he was neutered. There's a big <laughs> love interest in Balto that has, and similarly with Call of the Wild, that kind of pulls them to this to like help procreate and and add right. something to the breed. So this is actually where Togo actually does come in. Togo is responsible for the introduction of the Siberian Husky to the United States and Canada oh, wow. because he was not uh, neutered at all. So for the last two years of his life, he's just siring puppies and it became one of the most sought after breeds because of actually the, some of their uh, their traits relating to humans. Oh, um, uh, So Togo... Their dependability. It's <laughs> so Togo helped actually create what we know now as the Siberian Husky uh, introduced to the United States. Mm. Um, and this was all headed up by the musher of Togo, Leonard Seppala. Um, so he's played by Willem Dafoe in this movie. And the movie centers around Seppala raising Togo from kind of a distraught puppy that he doesn't, doesn't believe in, but his wife keeps pushing him to and cutting back to the actual run, which is probably some of the most harrowing journey you can take by dog. Like, it's, it's, right. it's pretty incredible. And the film covers all of this with real locations and real dogs for almost the entirety of it. Now, in the they, Klondike? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're shooting in Canada for, right. for almost all of it. It's all shot on location. It's all using real dogs. They dress it up with some CG and some safe moments and stuff like that, but it's so tasteful, it's so well done. It is photorealistic because they actually photo craft these things and the dogs are incredible so anything that i saw in call of the wild i immediately saw real dogs do crazier <laughs> bigger better stuff the action right. sequences in togo not only are they to the nose real how it happened but they actually are pretty exciting they're yeah. really really exciting it made me sad that i didn't get to experience this one in a theater because it really kind of held up the nines for it yeah another big stat here Call of the Wild sp uh, spent $109 million for- More movie. for all the advertising <sighs> oh and all that. Oh my God, nonsense. I can't even yeah. imagine. Uh, all shot on sound stages in Los Angeles. Togo was shot on location with an A-plus cast for $40 million. Wow. I don't feel like they make anything like this for less than 50. Yeah. Uh, so to see something at 40, I was pretty. it was pretty staggering. Uh, starring Willem Dafoe, and he gives an incredible performance- he he stopped me dead in my tracks. I, I to be honest, I didn't like watch every frame in this movie. I like put together a shelf and I was just doing like yeah. chores and stuff. And it was coming to a close, and it was his voiceover. How dogs linger with you if you if you're able to to know a good one, if you're able to know a great one. And I think most people that grow relationships with their animals know have known a, an incredible animal over their life, something that has stuck with them. And as my mom is a, a, has been a champion dog uh, show breeder at times in my life, I've been on a farm for most of my upbringing. Uh, I've seen a lot of lives beginning to end. Um, and so in the closing moments of this movie, it was hearkening strongly to me of all of the dogs that I've seen my mom raise, that I've helped yeah. raise. Dogs that have gone on to become champions, dogs that went on to just have incredible lives with families, those types of things. And thinking about how 
the ones that that stick out ones that weren't even ever yours even how those yeah. kind of still imprint on you it was just so eloquently summed up at the end of this film i just started crying <laughs> i've not watched I've, I've watched the movie but i'm not really watched the you know like yeah and I'm, I'm just listening to him you know wax prophetically about this about this dog i'm only now learning about talking about how no one's ever really gone and i'm just like i just bawled and went this is amazing this movie is incredible and i've just kind of been on a tear since then i went back and and rewatched most of it and have yeah. been looking into all this but i just thought man this is what i wanted out of call of the wild this is this is really exciting stuff it's a great yeah. cast it's real it's real dogs it's real locations it's just a beautiful 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 movie in and out and it's something that i don't even think people know exist yeah. It's stuck on Disney Plus. <laughs> like, go look up the end of this movie on YouTube. It's there and it's beautiful. And I just watch it to cry sometimes thinking yeah. about dogs. <laughs> uh, but we all know you're watching those stupid Facebook dog videos. I'll post a link to the end of this. But I, I just can't recommend it enough. Yeah. Uh, Call of the Wild is some strange amalgamation. I don't I don't really I well, don't maybe get I it. can I can shed some light because we, we were also interested. <laughs> Evan did clue me in that he had watched this, so I did look a little into who created this and then also who created Call the Wild and the studios that made them, which coincidentally is the same one. <laughs> Disney. <laughs> it's it's mind numbing because okay, so and I, I we had this this kind of like come to we, we brief barely some of our notes before the show and I was, I was so so uh, Disney put out Togo and Call of the Wild is by Fox and then I had to uh, Taylor stopped me and I went oh yeah oh oh no oh God because they've been the same now for about like what a year yeah they're the same company. <sighs> Uh, and it just everything I started to think about the production here because there's is there could not be a wider ocean between paths to production here for these two movie movies. One is shot entirely faked on a on a soundstage, yeah. and one is actually out there shooting real animals. Well, and one of them will lose more money than the entire budget of the other one. <laughs> I, I I don't know how at $109 million with something that really has had the soul ripped out of it, they expect to make a ton on it. And something yeah. that, honestly, uh, like Togo, that is based on a true story that they kept really true to the real story. And like one and that I didn't know about, one that people don't about know it. about that is actually interesting. I don't know how putting Togo on Disney Plus and putting Call of the Wild out in theaters is the profitable way to go. Well, maybe they'll learn. In a crazy turn of events that I found, the film The Call of the Wild that just came out was the first film released under officially what they call 20th Century Studios because uh -huh. of the Disney merger. That's why you were confused because technically it's 20th studios. Century Studios, but it was 20th Century Fox. Right. Coincidentally, the 1935 adaptation of Call of the Wild with Clark Gable oh, no. was the last film made before 20th Century Pictures merged with Fox and became uh. 20th Century Fox. God. So this it, is what I live for. <laughs> it bookends the bizarre history of 20th Century Fox. Echoes through the ether and time. That's what I'm all about. Yeah, Call of the Wild was their la first and last and last and first. And Togo's still getting shoved under the rug. <laughs> I did look a little into Togo, and maybe this ties into how I'd love to ask questions of who made these things, because the director of Togo, Erickson Kaur. He started as a, a director of photography, actually. He shot uh, Fast and the Furious, and he's made his career doing that, but he's transitioned over into directing probably the last five 
to not quite 10 years. Yeah. Um, and so this movie, he actually directed and shot, which is pretty impressive. Some wow. people do that and they don't take the credit for it. Like it, that, that's how crazy it is to kind of to yeah. do that. But you want to uh, hide he, it because then it's like yeah. weird if you <laughs> yeah. did everything. Like yeah. Soderbergh, like we talked about, you know. Uh, and maybe this thing for, for, uh, Erickson Core was a bit more personal because I looked into an interview with him. Oh, really? He was an outdoor mountain guide oh. for a while. No way. I didn't know that. So it didn't matter to him if he's out yeah. in the wild. Let's also, go. and I don't think he's proud of this because I don't think it's legal anymore, but he owned a wolf. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is great. I did not you, know any of that. If you go back and look at the ending of Togo, at the very end of the credits, it says for Shalako which was the wolf that he had. Aww. So he dedicated the whole oh, that's film gorgeous. Seeing to that, his wolf that, dog. Oh, that's beautiful. Because that is the feeling that the movie gives you. It makes you feel like it's... it's Personal. It, it's, yeah. it strikes the perfect balance of, of feeling like it's talking exactly about your dog, but it's, mm. it's talking about any of them. Uh, yeah. It, it, it really does a beautiful yeah. job of summing up that, that exact feeling. And that's really the pinpoint to launch into the last moments of, mm. of the film that I just kind of got just <laughs> stopped me dead. I mean, I, I was, I was taken away with it. It's beautiful. And spe- yeah. Speaking to the, the truth and the realism of it. And I saw this in the same interview with the director, the dog that they used diesel is apparently the 14th generation from the actual dog Togo. That's pretty amazing. So it's like a great, 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 great grandson of this original dog that is now acting as that dog. You can't ask for better than that. And yeah. th- and they try to take that kind of closeness to the events of it as much as they could throughout all of it. And some mm. of the stuff is crazy that they that they say that this team did to actually survive. But apparently it is exactly how it was, mm. as, as close as they could get it. I, I don't understand why you would go one way versus the other. Why would you not want to use a real dog? Yeah, a real dog is automatically emotive. You've got the the audience right there. All yeah. you all, all it is is your job is to capture the right reactions and string them together. The job <laughs> the dog is doing its job, being adorable and lovable, and it, yeah, it, you your job is made. Just just yeah. be patient and do it. I don't I don't know why you would. So not now I want to get it. to the last part, which I was fascinated by. And if anybody knows these people in real life, we'd love to talk to them oh, because yeah. it's not bashing it by any means, but we're just so curious how these things come about, because I looked into the creators of Call of the Wild, and all the questions we're asking seems like questions that they would have already answered in the production of it. The writer, Michael Green, and Evan will love this, he is also the writer, granted he wrote Call of the Wild 2020, he wrote Logan, Alien Covenant, and Blade Runner 2049. No. <laughs> And all of those movies came out in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> the dude's a madman. Yeah. <laughs> he also wrote The Green Lantern from way back when with Mark right. Ryan Reynolds. Um, <laughs> but you know he's got something to him. So like, Definitely. it doesn't necessarily make sense in terms of the screenplay. And then what I thought- You never know. Yeah. I mean, that's just, a, that's the, exemplifies how versatile and how crazy a career can be, how crazy a creative can be, and they, they can do anything. Um, yeah. The other thing, the main person, the director of this, Chris Sanders, speaking to all of the different stuff relating to Disney and the whole thing being Disneyfied, seems like the exact opposite of what he would want. So this is his live action directorial debut. He worked as a designer and co-writer and various things on Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King. 
mm. but was very critical of the Disney system at that time. I'll post a link because in the late 1980s, he created an allegorical picture book. He wrote a whole book, drew it, wrote everything called the Big Bear Aircraft Company. And it's an allegory for the creative process of Disney and how they're just trying to make airplanes oh, wow. that look exactly oh, the same. When he was working on Mulan, he was especially critical of the death of the Mulan villain. Mm hmm. And that's what they were all concerned about. And he was concerned about whether there has to even be a villain at all. Like what uh -huh. he's like trying to play with the story and the form and they're just trying to churn it out. So he's made a whole fake thing criticizing them and then stepped away from Disney. Before that, though, he like I said, he was so interested in this villain thing. He was motivated to create a story about a villain who then becomes a hero. He's like, I want to do the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. So he writes this little book about this character called Stitch, <laughs> which is this oh, monster. Oh, no. Yes. So later on, Disney, around 2000, wanted to try smaller things. So one of somebody told him, hey, pitch it again to Disney. So he pitched it. He co-wrote it with this other guy. He is also the voice of Stitch in the movie. Oh, wow. It's so fascinating to me because that story is about so a kid and then an animal and a pet and their bond yeah. and all that stuff, which is a kind right of there. call of the wild. It's right there in his wheelhouse. I love Lilo and Stitch. Yeah, absolutely. It's so unique, so individual. It doesn't feel like anything Disney would want to do, but he is the figurehead behind it. He's the voice. He came up with it. He you know, co-wrote it, directed it, all of that stuff. He was on, the next thing he was going to do, he was on a movie called American Dog, which eventually became Bolt. But he oh, got wow. removed as the director. Another dog movie about the yeah. Bonds, but then got <laughs> Disney-fied. So he left, then went on to work with DreamWorks and was the director and writer of How to Train Your Dragon, which is another movie oh about God. the bond between oh an animal God. and people. <laughs> and then he made this movie. And so it's so confusing to me that like looking at that trajectory and his yeah. critical nature and his understanding of that type of material. I guess it makes sense why they would pick him for it, but then how it became this thing. Yeah, how is that the way that he wanted to go? How did that become the way? With this other yeah. writer who's also yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like with that guy and that guy, you might would have something pretty good. More like Togo, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> So. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know what's going on. Also, I mean, and we'd be remiss to not say in the midst of all this Disney oddness, <laughs> Bob Iger, Iger, Iger resigned. So yeah, the now, CEO who bought Star Wars, who bought Marvel, who created Disney Plus, who put us in the spectacle that we are now is stepping down. I mean, he's still going to be on the board or whatever, yeah. but he's, yeah, he's not the CEO anymore. Oddness happening all over <laughs> Disney. Disney is, uh, and this is, I think that this is just odd that this is at the forefront of the industry and it is so it just feels like a storm that we're all watching and turning on the side of a cliff like is but what is happening with disney and all of its <laughs> entities and all that it puts out and now remaking itself over and over and over and over again at what point is there a direction for this company at what point is it too big <laughs> to that it to doesn't have, have a direction yeah, yeah. I don't know where, where this is going, but it is bizarre to be watching. And we're going to be watching and covering it. This is wild. Um, but I wanted to take this opportunity to talk about something like Togo because it totally got uh, yeah. overrun and I think is a beautiful comparison for Call of the Wild. If you have any thoughts on it, if you've seen either of these movies, please reach out to us 
at Illiterate Pod on Instagram. Talk to us. We'll talk at you. We want to talk. We want to talk about what you're into because that's what we're into, baby. Next week, The Invisible Man. Mm, it's going to be good. Looks creepy. <laughs> All right. We'll talk at you later, guys. Thank you so much. Bye.